0: Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights, a podcast brought to you by the Society of Entrepreneurs and hosted by Pearson Crutcher and Jay Healy. The Society of Entrepreneurs is a membership organization founded to promote entrepreneurship and provide education and resources to Memphis business owners.
1: In this podcast, we'll have a series of interviews with accomplished business owners and entrepreneurs in Memphis, Tennessee. There are so many great entrepreneurs in Memphis and their stories need to be told.
0: Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights.
1: Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. We're excited to have our conversation today with Chris Bird. Chris is an experienced entrepreneur who built and ran his first company, Dillard Doors, to the point where he was ready and able to acquire other companies and merge them into what he calls his family culture. The expansion of his business over time is what leads him to the role of CEO and chairman of Dillard Companies. We hope you enjoy this conversation.
0: Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. I am very pleased today to have my friend Chris Bird as our guest. Chris is the chairman and CEO of the Dillard Companies, but also we get to work with Chris on a monthly basis because he's a mentor for the Society of Entrepreneurs-sponsored mentoring group. So we will certainly hit on that topic as we go today. But Chris, welcome. We're so glad to have you here today.
2: I'm so happy to
1: be here. I've heard of you guys before. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank Uh. you, Chris. Thanks. We always like to start with just your personal background. Tell us where you're from originally. I'm glad you're asking me pointed questions like that. I told you, don't make me tell my
2: story. (laughs) I was born in Port Arthur, Texas, lived most of my life in Dallas. A small stint in L.A. when I was two.
0: Very brief. (laughs) Little gig.
2: I grew up in Dallas until almost college time, and then I went to University of Tennessee, and then came to Memphis, and I've been here ever since. Go balls! You know Uh that's why
0: Chris and I get along so well. Did you
2: see the baseball game last night? uh
0: Yeah, I did. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) So, for those that are listening, um, LSU won the College World Series yesterday. So quite a baseball game. Beat yes. Florida, that's all it can say. Yeah, <laughs> beat Florida, exactly.
1: <laughs> and having gone to college in Knoxville, what brought you to Memphis? I related to the guys in Knoxville at school that were from Memphis oh. because
2: they reminded me of my friends in Dallas. That's when I was learning about Tennessee and the three states of Tennessee, and there really are three states of Tennessee.
0: Certainly.
2: East Tennessee guys were one way, middle Tennessee guys another way. And the Memphis guys just kind of had that Arkansas Western thing going on. And I just really related to him. So anyway, I liked Memphis. I visited Memphis a lot right. and made plans when I graduated to find a way to get here.
0: What were you doing for work at that time?
2: So I was in grad school working on a MBA and working at UT Medical Center and thought I was going to go into healthcare administration. Oh. And was asked to do some projects while I was in graduate school, and one of them was figuring out whether to buy helicopters for the hospital and whether it would make sense. And I put all this time and spreadsheets into doing all the work, and my report said, you know, this is ridiculous. There's no way you're ever going to recover costs on a helicopter, and they went, okay, thanks a lot, and went out and bought two. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when they were a bargain back when they were only $3 million each, and that was a public funded institutions. I kind of got soured on the whole not-for-profit thing because right. I thought this is just not your money to be playing with. and I wanted to go for-profit, so I found somebody to get me to Memphis, and my grandfather helped me get into the insurance business because that's what he came out of. Knew some friends, so I got licensed, took the test and all that while I was still in Knoxville. And when I came to Memphis, I was ready to go. I was licensed up and learned how to sell insurance. Which is probably got to be the best sales training in the world.
1: Yeah, sure. You can mm-hmm.
2: teach somebody to sell insurance. My goodness. ISAS communos, you know. <laughs> anyway, well, having that background, it was great. I loved the financial world and I was trained in it. So I thought, well, now next logical steps become a stockbroker. So I did that and got my series seven and entrepreneurially joined up with a couple of other ex stock brokers and formed a little startup that was called the Investment Center in Memphis. And we went to work and we had guys that specialized in all different forms of investments and clients. And six months into it, we got a little call that somebody might be knocking on the door the next day that had a federal badge and we decided it was time to get out of there. It was only later that I found out that one of our Principal guys had a little history out in California, and we didn't know that. Oh, Uh man. Anyway, we were all out of a job.
0: So, you learned all kinds of lessons there at that job. I mean, it's great
2: to learn your lessons early in life. You know, I keep telling my son that, you know, and my daughter, I'm like, just be glad you're not 25 right now. And I was 25 at that point, and I'm really glad to have learned that. And so, I didn't go back into investments. It was a good time to get out of it, too. It's right during one of our first economic. Crises right around 1998, bad time. So I got out of that, and I was running two other little businesses out of my apartment. One of them was called Microcomputer Consulting Associates, and in 1988 PCs were pretty new. Every business was looking to just get one, and then they didn't know what to do with it because there wasn't a lot of over-the-counter software. I mean, Lotus One, Two, Three, Display, Right. That's about all you could get. And so I found some programmers and we wrote a little custom software that basically did financial accounting for small businesses. I would liken it to maybe QuickBooks Lite, Quicken, or something like that. Very simple, basic stuff, but it worked. So we would do that. We'd buy PCs, set them up, network them, put some software on them. It was mildly successful.
0: And so from computers to Doors, there's a switch. Yeah, there's a
2: trick in there and it was my dad. My dad was in the lumber business, my dad's family was in the lumber business going way, way, way back. Mom and dad had relocated to Middle Tennessee and dad said, we've got to get our business computerized. And it was a door business. It was an offshoot of the lumber business. It was swinging door, doors and hardware business. And he convinced me because I wasn't doing that well with the computer company, and I was doing some brokerage work on the side, and that doesn't really work well either. So I wasn't doing that well, so I was kind of easy pickings. And you know, he said, "Looking for other options." He's like, "Come, you know, come be a consultant. Come help us. Just get us computerized, and you can go back to whatever it is you do." And and you've never gone again, back. And the next <laughs> thing I know, I'm writing door hardware schedules and learning the door business inside and out. That company grew into West Tennessee, and I got to come back to West Tennessee. I settled in Jackson, Tennessee, where both sets of my grandparents were from, and I had a lot of history, did a lot of growing up, spending my summers there, got to move back there and run a West Tennessee branch for dad's door company. And then they got bought out by a big, large Nashville lumber company kind of back in the lumber business, but doing it for somebody else. And they wanted me in Memphis, not Jackson. I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that. But all in all, I ended up not really liking working for somebody else. And after my dad had retired from that business, that's when I went back out on my own.
0: And then you did that because you had a little conversation. shows that you always need to be keeping your options open wherever you are. So sat down next to Mr. Dillard.
2: That came a few years later. So I went out on my own as a consultant because I would earned several professional designations. And so I could hire myself out as a consultant. And I was doing that and was married then childless. And I was able to do that, be a consultant, started making decent money, but had the time to do it and started really looking for a business to buy. And I kind of settled in on one. i had been recruited to buy a company for from a good old friend, I think. But the good old friend thought that my good old dad and my good old father-in-law were going to buy the business for me,
1: too. <laughs> 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 so, no. No, it, it,
2: That didn't work. So anyway, that negotiation went on for about a year, basically over price and terms. And that's when I had the lunch with John Dillard, Rotary Lunch at John Dillard. And I expressed my frustrations to John. Just take taking forever, John. I don't see how we're going to get there. And he says, why, why don't you just give that up? Why don't you just buy me? I mean, two weeks later we had a written agreement and a couple of months we had formal attorney drawn up agreement and a transition period of less than two years.
0: That's awesome. John got what
2: he wanted. He got to retire. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: but I got what I wanted, which was a very, very nice historical Memphis company that had a good set of employees it only had 12 employees then wow dillard door was the name of that company at the time it was dillard door. It was great good. it was dillard door and specialty inc
0: they did the gates at graceland actually yeah. didn't they that so, is true yes. the company was
2: formed in 1947 by john dillard senior and in 1957 john dillard senior put the gates of graceland in installed them, got them swinging, and then built an operator, which really didn't exist. They weren't off-the-shelf gate operator. Oh, then. So he took a door operator and turned it on its side. Wow. Made a gate operator. And now
0: every house in the city of Memphis has one, don't they?
2: Everybody does. John Dillard Sr. was quite the innovator, and he wasn't real good at getting patents, and I wish he had because I'd probably own those now. But he designed the doors at the airport baggage claims that – open up and your bags start popping out oh wow up to then they just came straight out and didn't have a door that opened you know and i guess it was sometime in the when that airport was built 68 ish something like that that hijacking became a thing and all of a sudden we got to secure the baggage claim area and so john just came up once again take a door operator turn it upside down tie a string to it open close the door
0: Wow. So I know Dillard Door started out, as you said, you had just a few employees when you first bought it, and it's grown into a quite a large organization. So you want to talk about all of the Dillard companies and what your business today looks like?
2: 12 employees then were probably 130, maybe more. We just finished an acquisition in Panama City, Florida, which added maybe 15 employees. So yeah, so our first Thing was to take Dillard Door and start a new company called Dillard Security Services. And the whole purpose for that was to recognize the fact that old Dillard Door was actually new and high-tech Dillard Security, and our old customers just couldn't seem to get that right. And it was a, a marketing thing. Somehow we have got to communicate to our customers that we're not just old Dillard Door, we are new Dillard Security too. And so I started Dillard Security services. Also, licensing is different for security stuff. And so there was a lot of reasons why we needed to do that. And then what came after those security service? Really nothing. We were running the two companies with door side and security side, as we used to say it, companies working very closely together, until maybe 2017 or so when we made our first acquisition. What was that? That acquisition was a 50-year-old old Memphis business called Tri-State Glass. Old friend of the company, there again, a third-generation owner that wanted to retire that we'd been doing business with, that had been a subcontractor to us. I mean, doors involve glass, Yes, but we didn't do glass, so we always had partners. Oh, well, you do the glass part, we'll do the door, you put the glass in our door and all that, we'll sub that out to you, and so when Tully No was his name, he Said, oh, I'm thinking about retiring. I said, well, let's just work it out. And we did. And totally had an agreement. You should stay on for three years, you know, staying on five and a half because we were having fun. And it was great growing the business. That was our first acquisition. And our next acquisition was an electrical company because there, again, we worked with the electrical company partners. Our stuff, if it rolls up and down automatically, it's got to have electricity coming into it. You got to have somebody that's got an electrical license to get that done and we found one one brought it in-house basically just to do our own work both those companies were basically just to do our own work let's yeah. just bring it in-house both of them have been successful in not only bringing some of their existing customers but us being able to develop those out as their their own businesses and we kept the logos and they all had some history there and it was worth keeping those logos around And then in 2019, we'd been trying to get into the Florida market because it's just crazy good. From a development standpoint, there's always building going on, and they got this thing called hurricanes that come through every once in a while that means you got to start all over and rebuild everything. And so, wow, it's a pretty good place to be if you're into replacing doors and glass and running electricity. And we bought an overhead door business down there, and of all things, uh, hurricane shutter business, which is supposed to protect from those things that tear everything down and cause them to be rebuilt. And that was 2019 before the pandemic started. November of 2019, we closed that acquisition. And obviously there was very little that went on during the pandemic merger and acquisition wise, but we got right back on that horse and it was safe to do so and acquired a little company in Tupelo, Mississippi, called The Gate Man, it does automatic gates, so it's perfect to add on. It just gives us a little more territory coverage and uh, more middle Mississippi. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we closed on a gate business in Panama City, Florida. Oh, nice. Called Quality Gates. So that completes our panhandle of services down there. And we've already done onboarding and benefits changes. Real excited. I just got back. I spent the whole week down there last week. Everybody's,
1: oh, I want to have fun. I'm like, never saw it yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> and it was hot I mean, <laughs> so how many employees do you have in full now 140ish i guess i'm going to have to
2: go ask somebody <laughs> <laughs> right that'd be about right since we just added about 15
0: well besides acquiring employees because when you buy the business how do you find the best employees if you're in a very specialized market how do you find the best people
2: you tell me <laughs> i <know. laughs> (laughs) Honestly, that that is the question of the day. And Every time I get in front of any other business group, what's your biggest problem? Finding people, finding people, finding people. It's not new, but it's gotten a lot worse lately. And we've adapted many times, continuing to adapt. We've got to broaden where we look. We've got to be willing to bring people in with a lot less experience, not only professional experience, but life experience. Realize that we got to teach and train things that you used to expect people to come with. What do you mean? I mean, life skills in a lot of ways. And every single thing that we do professionally, we need to teach. You don't get trained, certified technicians to come anymore. If they're out there, they're employed. Yeah, you can try and steal people and that's, (laughs) you can spend as much money as you want. Some people will bounce back and forth, but ultimately they're going to settle where they want to be. So one of the, big things that we've noticed because we lost people, especially a couple of years ago during the pandemic and all that. The big companies, FedEx, et cetera, needed forklift drivers, things like that. And they just put ridiculous prices out there on billboards and signing bonuses and everybody jumped ship. $3,500 come to work today, make $5 more an hour than humanly possible anywhere else. And Six months later, they quit that job and go to UPS and take their $3,500 sign-on bonus. Well, UPS, FedEx, everybody else, I think, kind of figured out that was going on. I was on an airplane home from Florida talking to a guy. FedEx said, yeah, yeah, my buddy over. We talk now, and we realize that's what they're doing. So when that slowed down, that stopped people from jumping ship for that money. And that's when they said, yeah, that was good money, but I really want a place where I can relate to a family business family and we've always concentrated on that but i would say we are doubling down on culture and the whole family aspect of this is a great place to work i mean we barbecue we have biscuits on friday we play games and we like to go to things together we were talking earlier about charitable events that dillard likes to do and it's always something that involves the employees what would they like to do well we're going to sponsor the concert we're going to sponsor things in our neighborhood, things at Stacks, things at Elmwood, things in medical center area in downtown, because we want our employees to play where they work. That's a great framework, yeah, play where you work. Because a lot of them don't live anywhere around here. And so I want to introduce them. We're right in the heart of Midtown, downtown medical center area. And it's like, not only do you come to work at seven o'clock and go home and five o'clock here but hey hang out for a little while we're gonna (laughs) go in the cemetery and watch a movie yeah (laughs) that's fun
0: though i forget that you're right there it's real fun we're gonna run
2: across the railroad tracks and hit stacks they got a cool party going on tonight we love doing stuff like that or crosstown we're talking about spinning records and those wonderful speakers (laughs) (laughs) yes yes (laughs) at the the list listening lab yeah so fun stuff like that. We're successful in getting and keeping employees. Even if we lose them once, we're going to get them back now because the lure of money is always there, but family.
0: And I know from talking to you that you've even got an employee that that's kind of their main thing is keeping the culture and working with the employees. Is that employee correct? Employee success coach, <laughs>
2: if that's what you're thinking yeah, about. Um, think that's And great. that's a program uh, that we started up with five or six other employers Four or five years ago called the employer resource network and we share an employee success coach and that success coach is there for the reasons i talked about life skills where people come unprepared to deal with some of the things that happens in life and it can be things that you and i might consider a simple deal you got to go to the dmv and take care of this for some reason or another they don't know it can't do it or underestimate the importance of taking care of that thing after an accident, filling out the SR-22 or whatever it is, and they lose their license or insurance because they just didn't fill out the phone.
0: Because they just don't know.
2: And they don't know. And then they think it's insurmountable. And maybe they've gotten pulled over and their license is pulled down there deep, And it's like, oh, well, employee success coach knows the system, can literally pick up the phone, save them a trip to wherever a lot of times and just say, look, It's going to cost you $22. Go here, ask for Sheila, take her cash or check or whatever that department requires and you're done.
0: That's amazing. It's a great service. Or
2: you're entitled to social security benefits. You had no earthly idea. Both your parents died. You could be getting this. This -hmm. could be helping you. There's childcare out there. You could be taking advantage of this and all those things. Ultimately, what it does for us as employers that share this person is it keeps us from losing good employees to things that we might not have even known about as employers, something that somebody wouldn't bring up. And this is burdening them. It's preventing them from getting to work on time. They're calling in because
1: they got to go sit at the Social Security office with their mother or something, where the coach can knock that out for them. Is that coach available to other companies that might be interested?
2: Our coach is our coach, and we share it amongst the member companies. Okay. And we have expanded to two coaches now, shared by twelve companies.
0: But other companies could join in with that network, or are y'all. Yes, kind of, oh, and
2: so we're always looking for good companies that would fit. And then, as the burden becomes
1: too much, we'll hire another one. Could we post some information about that? coach on the show notes show notes yeah if i can find it (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure
0: you. it's called the
2: mid-south employer resource network mid-south ERN. i think we have got a website up now it's not something that we'd market that much but we do get calls from all over the united states from other cities and groups that it's like i've heard about that
1: and we want to do something like that one of the reasons we do this podcast and one of the i think one of the benefits to our listeners, is they hear the story, they hear the success, they hear how problems have been solved, and then they don't have to do it themselves. So I think this is a good example.
0: Exactly, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, as we always say, that's right. right.
1: Because we did a lot of learning in those first several years.
0: I bet you did. What would you say was the biggest challenge you've had to overcome as a business owner, today, finding an employer? All right, you're getting
2: more (laughs) and more specific. I was gonna say, being short.
0: Uh, uh, that doesn't impact your business.
2: There's a bunch of don't underestimate any business or multiple businesses or anything. Employees are probably the biggest challenge, but they're also the biggest blessing. So, children are challenge, but they're also a blessing. So, it's got to be people. People are where all the credits do as well. So,
1: what about your experience, your skills? You sort of took over this company. What did you have to learn to make it run well over time?
2: Well, I did learn a few lessons because all my previous businesses have been kind of solo things. and It was the first time I had employees. I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I wanted to be the cool guy, the cool boss, benevolent, tried to be everything to everybody. And I had a lot of good people that have been there, done that in my business, sergeants, as we say. That would tell me when I got exasperated, because why didn't this work? They'd go, well, if they were as smart as you, they probably wouldn't be there and you wouldn't be here. And I had to realize that. I also wanted to be the guy that walked around with bonus checks, you know, in my pocket and stuff like that. And I forgot that people spend their bonuses a month before they get them. And you better hand them out early. I always thought Christmas Eve was a wonderful time to give bonuses.
0: <laughs> oh, Christmas Eve, that's yeah, been spent. <laughs> that, that, I, only, I
2: only did that once and then I realized that, yeah, no, November's about when people start spending their Christmas bonus so, uh, there's A lot of little, little things like that to learn along the way, but, yeah, you know, it was a much smaller company then. So most of it, been able to build and develop my way to my way of thinking and
0: Did you have any mentors or anything along the way that helped you as you were doing those? Well,
2: John Dillard was an immense mentor, and he's still around. He's there, so definitely John Dillard was. Your dad was a big mentor when I was building the security side. Took me around and introduced me to a lot of the existing alarm dealers of the time. and Good, friendly relationships there. So prior to that, I had a lot of people in Knoxville. I had dad, granddad. A lot of people.
0: One thing that you always talk about whenever I've heard you speak is about the motto that you kind of live by. And I know that it's the Rotary Creed, right? Rotary you, well, test. You know, push, the Rotary four-way test, you is it right I think that, I, I have a little
2: coin that I keep on my desk. I just remember that because I grew up, my dad was a Rotarian and my granddad was a Rotarian. Didn't your
0: grandfather make you remember this and quiz you on it? And He would
2: always find a reason to connect everything that we did back to a rotary saying or something like that. And so I grew up with that. And
0: Can you tell us? I can't <laughs> because I don't have my coin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, but we're used to the banners and I keep it on the wall and I keep a coin in my pocket. And Granddad had a lot of sayings and a lot of them I've never been able to figure out where he got them from, so maybe he made them up. But I grew up with that and I'm always... Remembering that, I keep my granddad's picture on the wall. Are you dad's. still involved with the Rotary? I am. I'm actually still a member of the Memphis Rotary Club. I've been a, gosh, I've been a member for 25 years now. It's hard to believe, maybe even longer than that. I don't get to go as often as I want to because I'm traveling so much, going to our other branches in Florida. I'm trying to take more time off, but I'm still very much committed to Rotary. And what you were asking for. The Earlier four-way period, test, is officially called the four-way test, and you can find it on Rotary's website. But It's basically, of the things we think, say, and do, first of all, ask yourself, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And will it be beneficial to everyone concerned? And if you look at everything and ask it those four questions, you should be okay in life.
0: Such great advice. Such simple premise, but something that if, if you keep it in mind all the time, I need one of your coins.
2: <laughs> I don't know where I got that one. I must have done something to receive it. So, you know, you can have it.
0: <laughs> I can't have your coin. Huh? <laughs> so <laughs> After what all you've gone through, what advice would you give to somebody that said, hey, Chris, I'm thinking about starting a business?
2: Think it through. Look at every single angle. Be prepared to ask yourself the question, am I willing to die for this? I mean, if you're not willing to starve, if you're not willing to almost die for something, it's not right for you. I mean, entrepreneurs do what they do because they have to, because it's in them. Because they ask famous artists, why are you paying? Well, I have to. I just got to do it. It's in me. I got to do it. And if you don't feel that way, if you think it's a chance to make money, to get rich, I don't want to have to answer to anybody. All right. But you better be prepared to starve, get skinned up.
0: That kind of leads to our favorite question that we ask everybody in a podcast is, do you think that entrepreneurs are born or can you teach somebody to be an entrepreneur?
2: I mean, I don't want to shortchange people that teach entrepreneurship, but basically entrepreneurs has got to come from within. You've got to want to do it. Skills can be taught how to raise money. Too often I hear people saying, well, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm out raising a capital round. How much do your own have you put in? How many bags of groceries have you gone without? Nobody's really willing to starve to get what they want. They only want it if somebody else will pay for it. We've proven that that works lately, but it's not always going to work. People aren't always going to be willing to just throw money at an idea that they don't understand because it might be the next big thing.
0: That is very true. So what do you think is in your five-year plan? Where will you be? buying more companies? What's your plan for the next five years?
2: Definitely. Mergers and acquisitions are our plan for the next five to 10 years, or as long as I'm around and maybe even after I'm gone. But I plan to do a lot less day-to-day, but I love the thrill of the hunt. I mean, that's basically what I do. I probably analyze 150 different companies a year to talk to 10, get serious, five, close one. Same goes on the private equity sales side. We got to talk to people all the time that are doing the same thing we're doing, except they're bigger than we are, and they're looking at us. And the more we grow, then the more different companies start looking at us. Every time you hit a level, you move into another territory. And the more people you meet, the more people you can refer. And We've had private equity companies actually refer people for us to look at to purchase
1: because it was too small for them. It's good for us. The large number of companies that you said you look at every year—how do you find them?
2: Telling every single person that you know that that's what you do now—that's <laughs> what you want right. to do. Peer groups, industry people—people right. people that have retired from big multinationals that are now consultants for private equities or other peer groups—they bring it to us. It's like, well, I, you know, I heard that so and so has been really successful, and he doesn't really want to do it anymore. Or he was putting all his hope in in his son and his son took off for Tahiti. (laughs) You know, So plan B, would you be interested in being plan B? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a great plan B. I love being plan B. And plan C is
1: even
0: better. (laughs) (laughs) Price might go down a little bit by that time, right?
1: (laughs) So every business needs a succession plan and you seem to be a lot of companies plan B when they can't do internal succession.
2: Or hadn't thought of it.
1: amazing how many people are
2: older than I am and I hadn't even thought about it
0: but you have and you're working on that
2: I have but I also realized that there's still a lot the deeper you dig the more you realize wow need to do this need to do this so that's my full-time job yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) so to develop the skills needed to do the M&A well was that something that you had to learn on your own along the way
2: A lot of reading, a lot of experience, a lot of looking into historical data, just being there and doing that, doing little ones, like that first acquisition with a friend, going through the legal process, having good legal and accounting people behind us, seeing how it goes, successes, not so good successes, turnarounds, all that experience is a really big help in doing those.
0: You're in the security business, and we are in Memphis, and there's a need for your services, of course. But what do you like about Memphis right now? There's a lot of really, really good things happening in this city. Can you tell us some of your favorite things about what's going on in the city right now?
2: Love what's going on in the city, and the things that we like to do are the things that are near and dear to our heart, and we like to keep our employees close to the neighborhood that they work in. So we love to do things that are in and around our area, which is Midtown Medical Center downtown area. I personally love events. So I like to sponsor events. Live at the Garden was last weekend. I was out of town. I didn't get to go, but our employees love it and I love to do things like that. My wife and I made the decision five years ago that doesn't matter where we are, we're not giving up Memphis. I may spend six months a year in Florida. I may spend six months here on the mountain. I'm going this week by the way. And can't wait. Ten degrees cooler. (laughs) <laughs> Can
0: I come with <laughs> but, you? <laughs>
2: but we're always coming back to Memphis. we will always base out of Memphis. This will always be where the family comes back to. I always keep a list of things that I want to do while I'm in town. I want to go to Crosstown and do this. And I want to go to the garden and do that. And we keep up our memberships at Botanic and um, Dixon and all those things. And I love Memphis for that. I love the fun festivals, and we just went through May. Goodness, mm-hmm. something to do every night different. I love it. And I love the fall when it's absolutely gorgeous in Memphis. I love Liberty Bowl. I love sporting events, Grizzlies,
1: Redbirds.
0: It's a pretty cool place, isn't it?
1: It really is. Recently, I was just in the Memphis Sports and Events Center, which is brand new. And that's a phenomenal place. And it's one of the largest basketball, volleyball, internal places in the nation at this point and people come from all yeah. over to go to that yeah
2: i think a lot of people that live in memphis underestimate just how much of a draw memphis is and how many people come here for the many many things that memphis have
0: and, and love it exactly there's a lot of really good things happening so when the things that we've talk about is that to be a member of the society, you have to give back to the community. And I know you do that all the time by sponsoring different things. But is there one that's your pet project that you really, really care about the most?
2: One that just came up recently because the night I got back from Florida last Friday night, Crime Stoppers, I was on the board and I was chair of Crime Stoppers for year after year after year. And recently, Buddy Chapman just officially retired as longtime executive director of Crime Stoppers and moved to Florida.
0: Oh, I did not know And that. he was
2: supposed to come back. Friday night for the annual big fundraiser for Crime Stoppers is a night at the Playhouse on the Square where you get the whole thing and we sponsor that and I came back and rushed from the airport to get over there because we were honoring Buddy on his retirement. But Buddy got stuck in Florida, he had a family member, had to go to the hospital, so that whole thing. But Crime Stoppers has always been near and dear to my heart, as well as the things that are in our immediate neighborhood, the cemetery next door, Elmwood Cemetery, our quiet neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> the stacks in Soulsville down the street and a lot of things in our neighborhood that we're trying to do to fix up and clean up. What's the purpose of Crime Stoppers? Crime Stoppers takes anonymous tips where people wouldn't want to call the police for fear. They need to stay anonymous and Crime Stoppers actually pays money for it. People that just want to know that their name's not going to get out there, and you know, has got to be looking literally like tell on their brother if the money's right. You'd be amazed just how many crimes get solved only because of that tip. Somebody somewhere knows something about every crime. No crime happens that there's nobody that knows.
0: What do they get paid? I'm just curious.
2: It can range, gosh, what's the low? (laughs) $200, I think, is the absolute minimum for turning in somebody that's Just somebody that's already wanted for something and he's got a warrant. And oh, I saw him, he's across the street. All right, 200 bucks. And then up to 10,000. And then you have what's called special rewards where a group or somebody related to the victim or something like that raises some money or pledges some money. And that's limitless. And we've seen that several times. And it works.
0: It's really cool. Absolutely works skipping around again but one thing I was just thinking about also is that Memphis is known for an entrepreneurial spirit why do you think that is
2: I don't know isn't there a book called there's something in the water <laughs> <laughs> there might be available a novel for anyone that's
0: listening and wants one so, <laughs> thanks. Maybe it is thanks for the, the promo <laughs> the <water. laughs>
2: something in the water maybe I don't know whether it's just the history going back if it had something to do with yellow fever or any of Memphis's historical tragedies and things that made people resilient and...
0: It's a special place, no matter what. No it matter is. Why, well, right?
2: entrepreneurs foster entrepreneurs. Do you find it pretty easy
0: to do business here? Because you talk about the different community groups. I feel like Memphis, people here work together. I mean, you just came from an b meeting and working on with other business owners on situations that you find that very helpful.
2: Absolutely. I mean, and Memphis business people get out and do things. There's chamber events. And if you get out and go to these things, you're always looking to help each other out. And I know somebody, I can put you in touch with somebody. And somebody says, well, I can help you out. Do you know this guy? This has a very strong business network. And I've heard other people that are in business communities elsewhere say that it seems to be somewhat unique that when we go to chamber events in Denver, Everybody's contentious. Nobody wants to help each other. They're all basically trying to get information out of each other. There's a lot of collaboration in Memphis between I can help you, you can help me. Everybody seems to work together. So maybe that is unique because I've heard it's definitely not that way in a lot of other cities.
1: So what do you like to do for fun outside of the business these days? Go to Florida, go to Mont Eagle, travel. I'm hoping to travel
2: more and more. Other than that, the fun stuff that I do is typically here. It's just being out in the community. There's plenty to do here.
0: What is something that our listeners would be surprised to learn about Chris Bird?
2: Secrets, I don't, (laughs) I have none. You don't wanna share your secrets, Chris? (laughs) I I have none, I would have to think long and hard. I really don't. I think I'm pretty open.
0: Don't you have a unique business ever in Arkansas or Mississippi?
2: Conforms. it's not really a business. Well, it is. It's a legitimate business. It's really a duck hunting club.
0: Ah, I see. It's called
2: Pecan Farms, and we did try and, well, we mostly bought pecans and relabeled pecans. And we're trying to do a playoff. I mean, we had a charitable thing where we wanted to take kids from inner city Memphis over there to actually pick up pecans. We had several orchards, pecan orchards that we don't own, that sold all the pecans to mass And the way they do that is they come in with a tree shaker, shake the trees, catch the pecans, and then they're gone. I mean, literally in one day. They can do 100 acres one day, and then they're gone. Well, that is not all the pecans. It's just quick and easy ones. So there's tons of pecans, one left to fall and two on the ground. You get a whole bunch of people and go over there with buckets. The orchard guys will say, all the pecans you can pick up, you give us half, you take half. That's our deal we're like, well, this is cool.
0: That is cool.
2: That was the thinking. We never really got successful because the Arkansas pecan farms had a little problem producing pecans, fruit, because of a drug, chemical that's sprayed on to kill hogweed. It's called dicamba. Uh, and it prevented the pecans. So we went through two, three years of no pecans. Ooh. And so we just lost momentum and hadn't done anything with that.
1: Started as a duck hunting club? Turned into pecan farming? Okay. <laughs> oh, <No>, that's surprising. <laughs> that, that is surprising,
0: there you go. So, final question.
2: You gonna keep me here all night. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> final
0: question. What are three things you can't live without?
2: Oh my goodness. Soap, food, sleep.
0: <laughs> Did you say soap? Food. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it is hot here.
2: The older I get, the, <laughs> my needs are more basic. Yes. It's always friends and family and faith. I know everybody says that, but it's definitely true. I'm, I'm very thankful for my family. I have a great three kids, beautiful, wonderful wife. Everybody takes good care of me. My employees, my extended family, those that help me get where I am, and those that are, continue to propel us forward every day. Those things I, I could not live without. Sometimes I think about it if, if I didn't have the business, and I know that ultimately I got to prepare for not. But I always think that I'll somehow be connected and. For some reason i was alone without family i don't know that i could function and i have great friends too
0: very good i think that's a pretty good note to end on so thank you so much for being here today chris that was wonderful i really really appreciate it
2: well thanks you guys thank you chris. i knew you had fun up here i had no earthly idea how much <laughs> we do have
0: a good time yes so, we do very good thanks chris it was good to see you
2: love it thanks guys
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Entrepreneurial Insights with Chris Bird. If you want to learn more about Chris or the Dillard Companies, please see our show notes.